When I was a student at Vanderbilt Divinity School a long time ago, I used to occasionally traipse around the campus to see what was going on. I had very little to do with student life. When I was there since I was in graduate school, I was serving three churches 50 miles out of Nashville, and I was raising two daughters. There wasn't much time for student life, and from time to time I would head down to the student union building just to observe. One late afternoon, it was a fall night, it was very, very nice, uh, there was a drama group that was performing the story of St. Joan of Arc. I clearly remember the actress who played the teenaged Joan looked like a woman who was in her 40s, probably a graduate student, who spoke all of her lines in the clear drawl of her native Southern upbringing. I knew she wasn't French, like the real Joan, when in one of the play's most powerful moments, she said this, some listen to the voices of men, but I hear the voice of God. Well, in spite of all that, the play was effective and it was powerful. Do you remember Joan of Arc? The time was 1429. The location was France. The setting was a castle where Charles, the king of France, lived, whose kingdom had been set on its ear by this young girl, Joan of Arc, one who was given to mysterious visions. The action occurs as Charles confronts Joan. He stands before this adolescent trembling with rage over Joan's contention that God has chosen her to become God's revelation in the land. He storms at Joan, your voices, why don't they come to me? I'm king. Joan replies, they do come to you, but you don't hear them. You have not sat in the fields in the evening listening for them. When the angels ring, you cross yourself and have done with it. But if you prayed from your heart and listened to the trilling of the bells after they have stopped ringing, you would hear the voices as well as I. With that, the king grits his teeth clenches his fist, and the scene ends. It was moving. Bear that image of Joan in your mind and move with me now to another time and place. The place is Shiloh, a village some 20 miles north of Jerusalem. The year is 1075 BCE, before the Common Era. The scene is a shrine where the Ark of the Covenant rests. It's nighttime, and an old priest named Eli and his young protege, Samuel, are lying there awake because they've been hearing voices too in the house. On this night, as Samuel falls asleep, he hears the voice of God. But unlike Joan, he's not sure where the voice is coming from. He goes to Eli several times and Eli continues to send him back as Gracie said. And then finally, the voice calls again, and Eli says to Samuel, the next time you hear the voice, make sure that you say to the voice, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And sure enough, the voice came again, and Samuel responds, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It causes me to want to say the first act of a call from God is to listen. You must 
Listen. A precondition um, for my ordination was to take the MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, a psychological profile. One of the questions asked was, do you hear voices that other people don't? It's very difficult for you and I in the 20th century, isn't it? We can't identify with Joan or Samuel either one because people who hear voices are generally thought to be ill. And so I answered that question the way I knew the board of ministry wanted me to answer it. But after 40 years of ministry, I would tell you today, I would answer it differently. We are such literal, unimaginative people. We've lost not only our sense of poetry, but also our sense of mystery. We no longer hear the voice of God these days because we seldom listen to the trilling of the bells after they stop ringing. If you and I are awakened from our sleep, we are likely to just go in and turn on the TV or to take a pill. We are uncomfortable with silence. We can't sit still long enough to hear God. I heard one minister not all that long ago say, with Moses in the burning bush, the bush was always on fire. Moses was the only one who'd stopped long enough to recognize it. I wonder where you and I are supposed to go these days if we hope to hear the voices. Where do we listen for the trilling of the bells after they've stopped ringing? Some suggest that we must move along with the earth's huddled masses rather than in the palaces of kings. You remember the wise men, when they followed their own strange voices to the place where Jesus was born, I imagine they found it somewhat distasteful, searching for God's peculiar presence in the squalor of a Bethlehem barn rather than in a place reserved for kings and prime ministers. Some even go so far to say today that God has stopped speaking to kings altogether. Maybe that's true. Others believe that the place where God speaks is only in the sanctuary. They say to catch the nuances of God, one must be present in the places where God has traditionally been known to visit. They say things like prayer and contemplation are the ways to get on God's frequency. I find that appealing too. And if we take Samuel's experience, the, both of those things are authentic. Tuning into God means looking for the signs and listening to the voices outside of ourselves so that God has a channel through which we might be reached. Oftentimes, those channels are open to us through other people. And they may look like friends, or parents, or teachers, or complete strangers who simply float in and out of our lives. Some years ago, I saw a documentary about a West Africa area where little boy babies were so prized that their parents often killed the girl babies. The ethos and religion of the people is such that it costs a family much money to raise a child. Better, they think, that the little girl should not live at all. It's impossible for me to erase that image from my mind. ABC spent a lot of money sending those images to me. And as those images were confronting me, they were also periodically trying to sell me something, a car or a bar of soap. 
And I knew all of that, but I couldn't get the story out of my mind. I was forced to reassess some old missionary feelings. Because having spent time in many developing countries, I have watched American Christians come and try to impose their faith on others who have a faith of their own. Is it imperialist, presumptuous, for an American Christian to go to some other part of the world and try to teach them that my faith is better than theirs? And as a result of that question, we have fewer missionaries now than we did 40 years ago. We rationalize uh, by saying it is an attack on people around the world and that Christians of their own indigenous nations should take the task of confronting their own brothers and sisters. Part of me still believes that's true. And then the world intrudes and it comes into my house and it gets into my face. And there are the faces of little brown girls who are doomed by their own parents just because they're girls. And I am arrested. I am convicted. And I hear the voice. Not the voice of Anderson Cooper or Bill O'Reilly. I hear the voice. And the voice says that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, not female or male. I remember Jesus taking a child into his lap and saying, to such belongs the kingdom. Now, I don't believe for a second that ABC intended for me to hear that message but the holy living God speaks whenever and wherever the holy living God wishes to speak. And we might hear it if we can listen to the trilling of the bells after they've stopped ringing. We can also hear the voice through scripture. The Bible is not a dusty antique to be looked at occasionally as a curiosity piece, though we often dissect it, analyze it, do battle with it, the Bible is more than a simple piece of literature. It is the diary of those who listened for the voice in their time and in their place, just as I was in my time and place watching that documentary. Just as Joan was in a French countryside, just as Samuel was as he tried to sleep. It's the voice that speaks encouragement in times of crisis, liberation in times of slavery, beauty in times of ugliness, love in times of hate. Words from real people who lived in a real world. They are proof that the Bible doesn't pull people away from this world into some fantasy place, but rather the Bible is the channel for the voice in this world. Joan was a channel. Samuel was a channel. So was that documentary. And so were those same wise men. We need to de-romanticize and take seriously those people who have been tuned in and turned on by God. Those wise men, for instance, they did a dangerous thing. So much so that they couldn't even go back home because they knew that the people weren't going to want to hear what they had to say. Joan of Arc was burned alive at the stake because she never recanted those voices. Samuel's life was no picnic either. All of them pointed to the God who transforms us by a voice. Mary Beth Nicholson, who was our My Story, My Song speaker from last week, said something I thought was amazing when she said God changes everything without changing anything. That's what happens when you hear the voice. The world doesn't automatically change, but you have. 
And because you have, the world suddenly has the possibility of being transformed. There are ways you can know if the voice you hear is the one from God. In addition to scripture and personal experience, I think there are also the traditions of the church. They are not to be dismissed because they are 2,000 years old. Because those, those creeds that we recite, they are testimonies of others who have listened for the voice. They serve as a kind of spiritual roadmap and they offer us definite signposts to follow. Trail makers for each succeeding generation of, of pilgrims. And like other maps and signposts, they can be ignored and you can try to make the trip on your own, but it won't be easy. I learned this the hard way. Uh, early on in my career, I, I went to Grenada on a voluntary mission trip. I was supposed to preach at the Methodist church there on the island. It was a beautiful day and I decided to take a walk on the beach to gather my thoughts. There were people sunning themselves and there were a few hardy souls who were in the unusually cold water. I kept walking, kind of oblivious to people around me, hearing only the sound of seagulls. I walked further than I really had intended and I even passed the signpost along the way, but I didn't bother to, to look at it or pay attention to it. All at once, I heard people whistling at me and calling to me, and when I looked up at them, they were all naked. I had wandered onto a nude beach dedicated to the proposition that it's a matter of good health to expose the body to the elements. They were calling to me to either get with the program or get out, and they treated me like I was some sort of perverted voyeur. I quickly retreated. I'd missed the sign, and as I walked back, I stopped at the sign to look at it. It was written in French, but it, clearly you could understand what was going on by the, the photograph. The creeds and the confessions of the church are a lot like that. They issue warnings and they point directions. They are posted by those who have listened to the voice. One more thing. Christianity is not some philosophical head trip. Once you listen and hear the voice, you must change your destination. There is no passive commitment possible. You must decide and make your choices. Or as my father used to say, you either have to paint or get off the ladder. There's a story about a man who once decided to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope with a wheelbarrow with a man inside of it. Some of you are too young to remember that people really used to do stuff like that and we think your generation is crazy. Anyway, this man set up two poles in his backyard and he put a tightrope between the two, only a few feet off the ground. And he practiced every day, walking back and forth on that tightrope. He never once fell. After a few weeks, he took a wheelbarrow and he started pushing the wheelbarrow across every day for hours at a time, never once fell. Finally, he took 175 pounds of bricks, put them in the wheelbarrow, walked back and forth across the tightrope. Never one time did he fall. His next door neighbor, Joe, was fascinated with the whole procedure. He watched him from the beginning and he was impressed. The day came at Niagara Falls, there was a big crowd gathered because everybody knew this man was going to attempt this feat. The man with the wheelbarrow, the tightrope walker, seemed a bit nervous. And he asked his neighbor, Joe, do you really think I can do this? And Joe slapped him on the back and said, I absolutely believe you can. I've watched you for weeks practicing and you haven't fallen yet. The tightrope walker said, you really think I can? And Joe replied, seriously, I really think you can. 
And the tightrope walker said, good, you're my man. Get in the wheelbarrow. God always has a wheelbarrow in hand. For Joan, for Samuel, once you hear the voice, your life can never be the same. But to hear the voice, you have to listen for the trilling of the bells after they've stopped ringing. All of this is in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.